Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello. Welcome back to The Shift. It's Des. Katie is walking the Camino. And, uh, well, you know, I'm in a great mood. I'm fresh off my Peloton. For those that don't know what a Peloton is, it's an exercise bike with an iPad on it. And, uh, the instructors kind of guide you through a spin class, but it really works. It's very intense, and I absolutely love it. And it's a beautiful, uh, beautiful October evening, October 1st evening here in West Hampton Beach, Long Island. I don't know if you can hear. Let me t- I'm going to turn, uh, turn up the mic for a sec so you can hear the, the sounds of a, a West Hampton night. Hold on. You can hear the... What are they, crickets or cicadas? It's very pretty sound of a of an autumn evening here in West Hampton. Uh, the evenings have closed in. It's not that late, but it's already dark. And if I really turned it up, you could hear the crashing waves. What I think is the rough ocean from the, rem- the remnants of uh, Hurricane Lorenzo, which is heading towards Ireland, from what I can read in the papers. Anyway, it's a, a, a beautiful last week that I have here in New York before I head back to Ireland myself Sunday evening. And I'll be back there on uh, on Monday morning. Anyway, listen, we have a, a fantastic app. Uh, Katie is not with me on this app. Of course, this is my phone that I forgot to turn off, distracting me. But uh, Katie wasn't with me. I recorded this episode in Las Vegas. And uh, it's with Kate Sheeler, who some of you may remember from a previous episode. We talk about hypnotherapy and sort of how the mind can affect your enjoyment of sex. Well, anyway, uh, Kate is our first returned uh, guest on the podcast. And after, when when I did the episode the last time with, with Kate and Mark, our partner, um, she, she had mentioned to me that she was she would be happy to bang out another ep talking about monogamy, which I guess, I mean, I don't want to say she's not a fan of monogamy, but she questions, uh, well, she just has some questions about monogamy. And essentially... That's what this episode is about. It questions monogamy. It questions uh, its 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 uh, its importance in a relationship, um, and it also talks about. Uh, we talk a lot about the lifestyle, as she calls it, which is essentially swinging and polyamorous relationships, which we touched on a little bit before with uh, Asher Trelevin, but. Uh, we get into it in quite a lot of detail on this episode, polyamory, swinging, and uh, the politics of that and the communication of that. So I think, 
I think it's it's really interesting. I think you guys are going to enjoy it. And uh, I'll be back after the ep to chat some more. So this is uh, Kate Sheeler talking about monogamy and polyamory and the lifestyle. You speak into that mic. Hello, hello. Great. Check, check. Well, we've begun. Okay. Kate Sheeler is back. You're our first return guest. Wow. I yeah. feel... It, 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 what Thankful. a privilege, yeah, you know. Very privileged. And you're, you're you're one of the rare guests that does the that does the show without uh, without Katie being here, you know. That so. confuses me when you say that because I'm also Katie. I know. So which like, is, which is, I always think of you as Kate, but well, I I would say my dad has always called me Kate. I go professionally by Kate, but I grew up as Katie. I made that sort of you know. I thought Katie, when you're talking about this, is going to sound offensive now because you've got a Katie. Well, what's um, but offensive? I say, no, I felt like a, Katie felt a little bit too young for my job. Kate felt more professional. Oh, right. Right? So I moved away from Katie to Kate full time. That's fine. I don't think Katie would be offended. Okay. She's a comedian. I, you know? I'm a Katie at heart. I've been a Katie my whole life, but I don't know. Oh, that's interesting. Yeah. yeah. So you're, you're, you're our replacement Katie for the day. Yeah. Hello. Uh, and uh, you, you get me out of a jam when I come to Vegas because yeah. you're here. And you can chat about stuff. Yep. Now, um, before we get on to some topics, how is your whole, how is your whole, you know, uh, content game going? And, you know, have you had any progression since we talked to you last? Yeah, I opened up for online one-on-one -on -one coaching. So I was actually doing that this morning before I came over here. I was running a little bit late because I was on a call with a client. So that's... So when you say one-on-one cool. -on -one coaching, mm -hmm. what, do, what do you mean? So people, people basically, you know, come to me and everybody's different, but they want somebody to help them improve their sex lives or communication with their partner. Maybe they want to get over. A lot of people have uh, suffer from a lot of like shame associations when it comes to sex. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, since I specialize in, by the way, people that don't know, I specialize in hypnosis and also the subconscious side of sex. Yes. So using a lot of different tools, hypnosis being one of them to help people overcome trauma and find more pleasure and deal with negative associations and make new positive ones and improve their lives through understanding their own subconscious. So you sell it very much from a sort of the, which we talked about, the you sell it from a sort of a hypnotherapy point of view, like mm -hmm. hypnotherapy slash sex therapy? Yeah, I'm a, basically it's hypnotherapy, but the focus is on sex. Yeah, so Be you don't you don't call yourself a sex therapist, right? No, I don't, and also because sex therapist is really a, I mean, it's more of a doctor's term, right? right? Like a psychologist or a psychiatrist. Uh, yeah. So I just call myself a hypnotist and a pleasure coach. Oh, a pleasure coach. Yeah, that's my cheesy term. That's the pleasure fun. Coach. That's the yeah. that's the fun part pleasure of coach. the. <laughs> <laughs> but yeah, that's a big because for me, I started out I, most of my adult life. I couldn't have an orgasm with another person. Yes. And it wasn't until I really dug deep into learning about the subconscious, learning hypnosis, self hypnosis, and also just understanding my own subconscious patterns and how I'd gotten there helped me undo them. And so I wanted to then help other people with the same, but then it expanded and I started dealing with not just orgasms. I started, when I started talking about that to people, especially online, a lot of men came to me and they said, well, they suffer from 
ED. performance anxiety and erectile dysfunction, which is all emotionally based. Mm. And so then it expanded to that and then to everything because the brain is the biggest sex organ. So how long have you been doing the online coaching? Online coaching just started. I literally opened up this week. All right. Yeah. So this is a good advertisement. Yes, for, everyone. Did you get any Irish? Uh, did you get any Irish followers from the? I last? did get some Irish followers. Yeah. Uh, so now that now you're online, you can you might. That's right, and the time. And if shame, if shame is, <laughs> if shame is part of your mo, you're gonna get you're gonna get some business from Ireland. That's actually that's quite true. Uh, we're, we're, the, we're we specialize in shame. Yeah, yeah. So and I've got uh, you know my ancestry is predominantly Irish. Oh, is that right? Yeah. So I think maybe uh, it's just no wonder you've got all sorts of sexual issues. This is where it all comes it's from. It's genetic. <laughs> Whether well, you know, I mean, th th that's a great debate, isn't it? About do we pass on, you know, it, do we pass on the shame or is it learned behavior? You know, is well, it is it part? <laughs> is it wired into us? It is probably it's probably both, but culturally, I mean, it's pretty. It's everywhere. Shame culture is everywhere. Yes. You know, so. It's well, if you know, it might be wired in us genetically if we're Irish or Catholic or yes. something, but um, it's cultural. I mean, we focus too. a lot on the Catholic part of the shame on the podcast, but then, you know, we've had various guests and, you know, the shame comes from many sources. It does. You it know, does. The, like sometimes, sometimes with the Irish, we feel like we have a monopoly on shame, but actually there's, there's plenty of cultures that are, that are dumping it down pretty hard. Yeah, absolutely. And some have um, more of an emphasis on guilt. Some cultures and some religions, some were on shame. So, you know. Yeah, no, it's just interesting because this comes marks. up all the time. <laughs> I, maybe, maybe it sounds like repetitive. How do you decipher the difference between guilt and shame? Oh, gosh, no one's ever asked me that. Oh, really? Specifically, I'm in the hot seat. Oh, the well, I, I, have between, a, I have a response. Well, I would say shame is the... Shame is your feeling and guilt is how you relate to that feeling. Interesting. Yeah, I mean it's 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 funny because there's a, there's a I think there's a lot of uh, crisscross with the two. I always feel like guilt is. It's oh wait, I have one more thing. Okay, go. Guilt is more about your. I'm sorry. Shame is more of an internal process, and guilt is about how you relate to maybe how other people see you or how you feel about how I'm sorry. Fear on how other people perceive what you've done. Right. Or oh, that's know, interesting. Right. Like I feel like one is more internal and one is more external. Yes. Oh, that's a that's a very good thing to say. Guilt has a lot to do with other people. Yeah, people's perceptions of yeah. what of what you've done, mm -hmm. which doesn't always contradict with. I mean, sometimes they are correct. <laughs> you know, Absolutely. sometimes you should feel bad. Absolutely. Because that, that that's a I I I decipher it often by I say guilt in a way is is feeling bad about something that you did wrong, and and shame is 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 just feeling bad for no reason you know shame is That's feeling <laughs> feeling bad for being alive that is that is true shame is a lot of times shame is just you feel ashamed for perfectly good things, right? Yeah, yeah. yeah. But that's the thing. It's like guilt and, and somebody said, I feel ashamed. You know, they, I mean, they're, they're, not, uh, they're not completely independent emotions, I feel. No. And, 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 and I, I think that it, it, it's, I think in a way it's kind of up to the individual to make sense of that for themselves. Well, a lot of people too, I think, start to, a lot of times you don't feel a huge amount of guilt until you understand how your actions have affected somebody else. Right. Right. Yeah. You know, whereas shame is uh, can be a very personal feeling that has nothing to do with anyone else. Yeah. Plus, you know, shame can be like that. You, you, you take on this this personal responsibility about, you know, say like a parent's divorce or, you know, like yeah. that you can sort of carry around these uh, these things that really have nothing to do with you. But they've they've left this 
kind of like shame, you know, uh, like a like a hurt in you that yeah. you take responsibility for, even though it's nothing to do with you. Well, that's what happened with the orgasms and stuff too, right? There was a, just a, I had a lot of negative associations deep down inside my brain about sex and feeling ashamed for certain things in my past sexual things that really, like you said, are like normal growing up things. Yes. Also, there had been a little bit of trauma in there. So I had all of these sort of shame and guilt feel, well, not, not guilt, shame feelings yeah. associated with sex that it had to undo because they were not doing me any good. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I definitely grew up with a lot of that too, mm-hmm. which, you know, on, on one level you feel like it can actually, sometimes it can make it more exciting because you feel like you're doing something wrong. <laughs> you know, if, if you took away all Dark. the sense that this is just totally fine, <laughs> then, What's the fun then in that? there's no fun in that, you know? <laughs> well, that's why people get extra, you know, you get weirder and weirder trying to come up with things to be ashamed of, right? To make it exciting. You know, I'm actually, I just, just because we're having fun before we really get into it. <laughs> I, I, I want to say what Google says is the difference Let's between guilt and shame. Just, you know, just like... If it's uh, on the internet, it's got to be true. For, for shits and giggles, you know, yeah. what's the difference between uh, guilt and shame? How, how, how is it not already known? It seems to know uh, half the time when I start typing what I'm going to... Of course, I'm not typing a great... Oh, the left-handed. Yeah, left-handed typing. and in the middle of a podcast. <laughs> uh, in contrast, guilt is linked to empathy and understanding other perspectives. Shame is a focus on self. Guilt is a focus on behavior. Shame is I am bad. Guilt is I did something bad. Mm-hmm. So it's, that's pretty much yeah. in line with, with what we were saying. Yeah. But, you know, maybe just articulated in a very concise way. Much better. As, as, Google, <laughs> as Google can do. But yeah, I, 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 yeah, I, think, that's, uh, I think that's interesting. So, so when you do the online coaching or just also just in your, your, your career with all this stuff to date, I got to think that uh, shame comes up a lot for people. It is probably like the number one thing is people feeling, even if they don't consciously, it's, it's kind of funny. We have the, we have these like two levels. You might feel like logically, I mean this, we do this with everything in our lives. We're like, um, you know, I, I should, um, I shouldn't eat that cake, right? I'm trying to cut down on sugar and logically you're like, sugar's bad. It's not good for me. It doesn't feel good for me. You have all these rational things Mm -hmm. you think. And so you're like, I can't think of anything that would be holding me back. Why am I not succeeding? I think all of these things, right? Mm. And that's true. But, you know, emotionally deep down inside, you might feel like, you know, if like, I actually know somebody who was, uh, sort of a comedian and an actor and he has you know he struggled with his weight quite a bit and he realized that he had this feeling that if he lost all the weight he wouldn't be cast anymore he wouldn't be funny anymore because he had really so he had this like emotional driver underneath it Mm. that it took a while to get to that idea a lot of fat comedians have that Well, it's a thing, right? No, sorry, I didn't want to distract you from yeah. talking about this specific no, it's a, thing. So we have these like emotional drivers that don't always line up with what we logically think. And sometimes right. we're not aware of what's underneath and it can take a little work. So I work with people to try to figure out what's really going on. Because if your subconscious, your emotional mind, that's all it is, your emotional mind. If your subconscious has one uh, point of view and your conscious mind has another and they come in conflict with each other, your subconscious wins every time, no matter what. Is that right? Yep. So that's why we fail at things a lot, right? That we're trying to change or whatever. So when you can get in and work with somebody and do do some hypnosis and also just re-educate, that process alone can be really powerful. Then you can start to undo it at a subconscious level where it was created. 
Right. And then have you, to date, come up against any very difficult trauma? Like, like, would you feel completely confident if somebody came to you and it turned out that they were abused as a child or, you know, just something that is quite intense for them that is driving a lot of that subconscious? I would feel personally confident to help them. However, I am the first person to have somebody speak to a doctor, speak to a professional therapist, and I wouldn't mind working in conjunction or something like that, but I'm very, I'm probably more conservative than most people would be in my you, you mean you're more cautious in relation to encountering that stuff? Yeah, just with, with, you know, kind of deep levels of trauma, because even though I absolutely, I know the process is 100% helpful for that kind of trauma, absolutely it is, because it helps you in a safe space make you know deal with things kind of close have closure move Mm. on and and you know re-educate and help you kind of get rid of that stuff but at the same time everybody responds differently you know has different needs and there's a different toolkit and some people I just would never want to it's like saying somebody saying can you can you get rid of my mental illness right yes like I'm gonna say you need to speak to a therapist even though I know that the work of hypnotherapy is is helpful to everybody would absolutely be helpful. I'm not going to make any, you know, crazy claims. Yeah. And I mean, I've encountered, I just want to be safe. Yeah. You're dead right. And I've encountered the danger of that, like in terms of, uh, you know, like, you know, you go into like AA, NA meetings, you know, sometimes people are expressing some, some, some serious stuff, particularly around mental illness. And some people just in their, their idealism or, you know, this, this, this sense of deep belief in, in the 12 steps and what it does, which I'm not belittling in any way, but they will sort of say to people, you, know, you don't need medication for that. You can deal with that yeah. through the steps. And it's like, yeah, but sometimes people do need medication because they're going <laughs> to kill themselves. And th- there have been incidents where, where that has happened. And so it's good. You know, I guess it's well, good. Well, and you have to be holistic. Like everybody, everybody's different. Everybody has different needs. I know that hypnotherapy could help absolutely everybody. Just like going to talk therapy with a, uh, if you went to a therapist, it would help everybody. Mm. There's not a person who can't be helped by having therapy, right? And there's not a person that can't be helped by having hypnotherapy in their life. But I'm not going to make claims. I, I'm going to solve your problems. You need nothing else. Yes. You know, I mean, it's like kale is good for you, but you have to have, you know, other things, other things too. Yeah. And and it, and, but, but it is you know. good. I, it is good to have an objective observer. It is. Mm-hmm. You know, for, for, for anything. Uh, anyway, I, I, that was kind of like a, a little digression. But just the last thing I'll say about shame is that's why I always thought, did you ever see the, the movie about sex addiction, addiction called Shame? I with, with, don't um, think so. With Michael Fassbender Ooh, and uh, like Steve him. McQueen. Not, 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 not the Steve McQueen that died Not the, the motorcycle Steve McQueen. Steve yeah. McQueen, the, the British director, uh, directed it. But it's a very good movie about okay. sex addiction. But, I, but really, it's an amazing movie about like, you know, the shame that drives people's behavior. So I, I thought it was a, what, a, what a perfect name for, for a, a film about sex addiction, the shame. I feel like the majority of people, even if it's not, even if people don't come to me and say things like, I feel like sex is dirty, because you have to be pretty self-aware to know you even have that idea. Most of us operate and we're not really that self-aware. They just know that they struggle or they want to have sex with the lights off or they have all of these things and they don't recognize that as shame or that they, you know, have these feelings of not deserving you know, pleasure, not deserving happiness. They don't, you don't recognize that level of it. Most of us just kind of operate on the, I have a hard time with this, Mm. right? 
I, you know, I feel embarrassed to talk about my fantasies. That's usually where most of us recognize. And then, you know, we kind of work in coaching yeah. to get to the deeper level and then make it better. Well, look at the language. I mean, the language around that is all negative. It's dirty. Um, that com like, like even in my own business, like that comedian is too blue. Can you do your clean stuff? So all the <laughs> language right. is, is related to sex is filthy and non-sexual stuff is clean. It's pure. Yeah. yeah. Mm -hmm. So all the language, you know, I mean, it, it, it's almost cliched, but actually it's very rare that you step back and think, what, you know, how did that become the dirty thing? Well, you know, it's funny about these. We have these weird ideas of like cultural, like Disney movies, for example, have given us a lot of this sort of monogamous kind of ideal, right? We've all grown up around world, well, every movie, but I'm going to pick on Disney movies, right? Where you kind of, you meet the person and you have a happily, happy ever after, especially more classic Disney movies, right? And so we all have grown up in this sort of culture. I, like, I'm divorced. And when I, I realized that I had this weird feeling of like something about being married, you get married and you have a kid and you buy a home and you have the job felt really like pure. Like I was yes. doing this. I was I like was you were doing the right thing. Yeah. I felt, you know, I had this weird association with it not with, you know, my marriage, but just marriage in general, that mm -hmm. I felt like I was really living life down the path you were supposed to. And it, there's a self-righteousness about it or something or, a you know, pride in how pure and wonderful it all was. And then when I was divorced, I was left with this feeling of like I was now no longer pure. <laughs> like, did like you I feel, did you, I mean, what was the, was there like a, a particular event that led to you guys getting divorced or you just... I mean, you know, we, well, don't, you don't, we, don't, to get we don't need to make everybody oh, I was depressed just today. No, I, you know, there were, there were a, a lot of factors, okay, yeah. but when it, you know, when it ended, I then realized that I had this weird association with like that now not being married and being divorced and stuff was suddenly like, like less, you know, less pure, less perfect. Like now I was did you sort feel of like dirtied. you failed. I don't think it was failure that I right. felt. I just felt we, I don't know how to explain it. I almost felt like a dirtier, like a less sort of, maybe it was, I wasn't living out the perfect kind of picture perfect life anymore. Well, I mean, divorce was only made legal in Ireland like the early 90s. <laughs> right, it's very. So there's a lot of negative messages about divorce yeah. in itself. Well, and even though, uh, to be to be fair, most, 50% of, of marriages now end in divorce. Mm. So, you know, it's pretty typical these days and it's, it's going to yes. continue to be typical. So, you know, and... We're, I'm all right. We're all right. I don't need to feel shame, but I felt lots of shame about you it. You right? did at the time. Just right? being a divorcee felt like shameful or something. Right. You know, and um, so I had to kind of deal with that because I realized that's not serving me any feeling like that. What's no, that doing no, for me? clearly not. No. So, you know, but. But it's not surprising that you felt it. I mean, I think, I think, I think, I, I, I would imagine if you had a, a support group of divorcees. Yeah. A lot of them would express similar feelings of yeah. feeling like, you know, they did something wrong. It's like the, Mary, the, the even if you're not happy, you're like, but I'm doing this wonderful thing that you're supposed to. Look, house, kid, family, right? Picture, well, I know, I got, Christmas I, cards. I, I got to assume also that, that you feel this sense of responsibility to your child. And, you know, all these things have to be weighed up. And, uh, you know, are we, are we sacrificing uh, the, the perfect scenario for her, you know? I mean, I assume all those yep. thoughts go through your head. I think that if my kid isn't on the therapist's couch... One day, you know, I haven't really done my job. 
So well, the, no, of course, <laughs> of course, she's going to end up on the therapist couch. Getting me like, do you, she's going to be getting all these like subliminal messages about therapy being a positive thing. Yeah, you know? of course. Unless of course. she completely rebels against you and just shuts down, says, "No, I don't need to talk to anybody ever." <laughs> she is so talkative. I don't think she could do it. She is. They called me the mouth of the South when I was growing up. Oh, is and that she, right? Like inherited all the of mouth that of the South, me. Jimmy Hart. Jimmy Hart. That's where that, the is that where it came from? Is that well, why my brothers that, started calling me that? Yeah, most likely. Yeah. How old are your brothers? Forties. Uh, oh and, yeah, and they up? definitely. It was the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart. Okay, that came from that. Yeah, some of our older that. listeners might know what we're talking about, but it's a WWF <laughs> reference. It's WWE wow. now. Back then, it was WWF. World Wrestling Federation, but they got sued by the World Wildlife Foundation. That's right. Yeah. I remember that. So uh, the mouth of the South, Jimmy Hart was, uh, you know, he had the megaphone. Oh, that's so funny. And the Hart Foundation, Bret Hart, who you recently died. Certainly he's been very public. But anyway, there's there's no need to uh, <laughs> go I, off. I'm not into wrestling nowadays, but obviously as a child, every, I was into it. And the mouth of the was, South, Jimmy Hart was, yep. was at my peak wrestling phase that yeah my brothers used to watch wrestling and they used to also i mean they just because i was the only girl and the youngest and i have four older brothers so they just messed with me all the time they i have I, somewhere we still have like a a karate gi and then my brother wrote katie the killer on the back basically. <laughs> <laughs> teach me moves so so uh the reason why well i i thought that the perhaps the theme of this episode could be about monogamy which you sort of alluded to every time i have you on the podcast you deliberately do this kind of like this steer towards the thing that we're meant to talk (laughs) about like you take on the responsibility of even though i was quite happy chatting about what we were chatting about but when we finished up the last time Mm -hmm. uh you said to me hey we can do another episode right now if you want because i I like talking about monogamy as a as a subject and actually at the time i was just too tired but it is something that we haven't talked about specifically on the podcast. Oh, right. But uh, stuff, you know, stuff has kind of, you know, touched around and it's come up. Esther Perel has come up a few times on the podcast and she, you know, talks about it a lot. So I thought it'd be great to chat about it with you. I'm surprised it hasn't come up on your podcast already as a focus because it's such a topic these days. Well, it's a great topic because yeah. it's very controversial and that's ideal. That's <laughs> ideal for what we're doing here. But first and foremost, yeah. I guess the thing is like people say, do you believe in monogamy? You know, I think my I've definitely changed my opinion over the last few years. But I think one thing that's important to note is monogamy is not a right or a wrong. It is a belief system. It's strictly a way of doing things right and you mean a way of having a relationship yeah and it's not it has been our it has been our traditional way of doing things in the last couple few hundred years or a couple hundred a couple centuries but it's simply one way of doing things right and we have this idea that like non-monogamy being a good way to screw up a relationship but 50 percent of monogamous relationships end up in divorce and the numbers aren't any worse that we're seeing for people that are poly or non-monogamous. Yes. I think relationships in general are complicated, no matter how you slice it. And, you know, it's... So I don't think you could say monogamy works and clearly non-monogamy is threatening to it because a lot of monogamy isn't working. Sure, of course. You know. But back before you had this, you know, like, you're, 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 I guess you're... This, this phase of your life is quite different than the earlier phase mm-hmm. of your life, right? And that yeah. there was a time where you wanted to get married and have kids and do, you know, do all the things that you said you thought were the pure thing. And in, in that time in your life, were you ever cheated on? Or you know, were, yeah. were, you, were you ever hurt uh, by that sense of somebody? No, I, I don't think I've ever really dealt with 
anything that sort of scarred me in one way or another about monogamy. I just had never even considered it. It just never entered my mind. It I also, never entered your mind that, that you could be non-monogamy? Yeah. Is that what you mean? Yeah. It oh, just right. was not even an option. I just hadn't even considered it. And if you had said, what about non-monogamy? I would have had that knee-jerk reaction of, ooh, that's weird. Or that and just, a terrible that idea. just can't work. Yeah, like, what? No. Uh, my husband or my boyfriend is mine or some, like, you know, just quick off the cuff thing and I wouldn't have even considered it and it wasn't until I got into just learning about the subconscious and talking to people in relationships and that I really began to consider for myself what I thought about monogamy and you know and so I and then I started doing some research about monogamy as well there's this great book um, sex at dawn I don't know if you've ever heard of it or read it it's so good and so interesting. But it's actually an anthropology book, but it looks at the anthropology of sex in okay. humans over in uh, over a long period of time. And I'm going to get some little details wrong, but bear with me. You'll get the big picture. I should have bloody read it. It's so good. Well, it's I good. Can, I, I can I, blend it to you. I've got a lot of good reading out of this podcast. So and th what's great about this is this is written by scientists Yeah. and not like, you know, just it's not written by some, you know, like me, like some. Well, don't feel pressure on being right. You know, just 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 try to remember well, what the, it was. Well, the basic idea that I thought was so fascinating was that they began to look at the history of humans and sexuality. And they looked at the actual sort of the science that they could study. And what they found was that their science leads them to believe and they have, a, you know, a, a lot behind it, that early humans we were, you know, we were sort of migratory, right? And we were hunter-gatherers, and you know that, right? We all kind of understand that, living in groups. And they believe that early humans were non-monogamous, right? And also, you know, hold on, we'll come back to why. But they were non-monogamous, and it wasn't until um, humans started agriculture, mm -hmm that that began to change because at that point, once agriculture becomes important, passing on, it's land ownership, right? Mm -hmm. And passing on your land becomes important, right? So that if you have a female partner you've made a child with and she has multiple other partners, you don't know which of these chi children is yours to p pass on the land, right? Right. So once we sort of became um, agricultural, our there was a cultural shift yes, for that which, reason. Yeah, that seems to be a huge shift, not just around, that, that, that's a huge shift in humanity. For humans, yeah. absolutely, culturally in general. So they were talking about the sort of time period that that would have shifted sexuality as well. Right. And you can also see in bonobos, who we're, we're the most related to uh, genetically. And bonobos live also in a non-monogamous, they're sort of groups and they work together, raise their children together. And also, when you look at some of the science, the um, size of, of male testicles uh, is also another pointer. The uh, animals in the animal kingdom who have um, similar sized testicles are all non-monogamous. Non and also things like multiple orgasms, right? So a woman who can have multiple orgasms and a male partner who generally only has one orgasm at a time, um, <laughs> one of the implications of that would be that the woman would be able to have multiple partners, right? Group right. sex. And when you even look at like the number one, one of the top things we look for in porn are gangbangs. Oh, right. We rarely search for, you know, 10 women and one man. 
Women are not particularly turned on by that. There's some men who'd be very excited, but generally the porn is multiple men on, on fewer women is one of the most popular porn searches and yeah, always oh, has been. Oh yeah. So do you feel like some of that is innate in yeah. us? Mm-hmm. Right. That that's part of our innate makeup. Which um, that, that could be, maybe some people consider that controversial, right? Well, yeah, but we're just, you know, yeah, we're yeah, talking yeah. No, about no, no, I'm just curious. Because you, you, yeah, you wonder, is it innate or is it just a learned well, thing? Well, but yeah. I mean, that's how also how bonobos and different animals in the animal kingdom have sex as well. Right. Right. We're animals. Oh yeah, hundred <laughs> percent. Right? And so it's not but, that but hard to imagine. But we're clearly intellectually yeah. more advanced. But so we have some base instincts, yes. right? Also, um, the way that the penis enters the vaginal canal, basically, non-monogamous animals all have some sort of feature to their anatomy, to their male anatomy that serves as basically when you enter into the female, your penis actually has the ability to suction out and sort of scoop out semen that is already there. And ours does the same. You might not realize that. And, and what, what, what's the evolutionary feeling behind that? Because it's dominance reason? of your sperm, sperm dominance, right? So Oh, the, sorry. Oh, so the, the, it has a, a way of actually taking out other sperm. Mm-hmm, that would oh, already really? be in there. So if and we this is a scientific fact. Yes. So uh-huh. if we were created to not to be entirely monogamous with our sex, why are we built to suction out semen that was previously in there? Right? From and and sort of, you know, pave a highway for your yeah. your sperm to be dominant. So there's a lot of really interesting science in there. It's also quite an interesting look at cultures, even very kind of, you know, far off you know, live in a jungle, hasn't been touched by modern world cultures and really interesting stories in there about cultures that are non-monogamous around the world. And really, obviously, Christianity and the spread of religion has played a huge part in the way we've lived, right? Right. And the way we've changed um, our value system. Yes. And so, you know, there's a lot in there about that. It's a great book. I must have a read. But of course, I guess the argument against, well, the argument against just looking at it from purely a scientific point of view or like from an evolutionary point of view is that there's lots of uh, innate human behavior that hasn't served us so well that we've had to get rid of over time, like slavery and, you know, like violence against other people. Well, but slavery isn't the innate behavior. It's dominance, right? It's dominance, competition, and ownership. Those can be, those can be, you know, kind of focused in positive or negative ways. But slavery itself is not an innate human behavior. Well, but, but the, you know, in the sense of... But, but a hierarchy, a hierarchical society... I cannot say it today. Hi, hi, that's a tough word. Hierarchical society? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> You're turning into Jordan Peterson. <laughs> oh, Jordan, don't worry. You'll, you'll, you'll get down with Jordan Peterson pretty quick. Okay, okay. <laughs> He, 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 I, I won't make a comment because some people love him and some people hate okay, him. Okay. And I'm not going to take a position on Jordan Peterson because... That's it, a little it, controversial? Yeah, it just it, 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 it pipes up. I have my feelings on him, but I'm not going to express them okay. here. Okay. Um, but, anyway, my, yeah. my, but, but my point about that is that we have, obviously, we have learned to control certain instincts... Yeah. Uh, for our for the betterment of our of ourselves as a species, right? Of course, and we could argue all day long whether or not monogamy is for the betterment of our species or not. There's a lot of arguments to be made for raising your children in groups, as well. Like there yes. is a, it, I mean, we have the we have the saying it takes a village, right? But we don't yeah. really necessarily live that way anymore. But you could see the value in a in a world in which there was m- less competition and more um, helping. As a group, 
right? Yeah. And that's where sort of a lot of people that are poly start to try to go, but we're so very new at this. And so you put yourself in the in the poly category, right? I don't, I have no idea what category I put myself in. Everything in my relationship right now, everything is sort of on the table, but there's no, I don't know what you would call us. We're not, we're not, I, you know what, I rarely venture out outside of it. I mean, we've done some, um, you know, we've done a lifestyle party or two. We've, um, a lifestyle party too, meaning like swinging. swingers. Yeah. It's very, it's the new thing is lifestyle oh, instead of swinging. Too, too much negative connotations. Yeah, with swinging, swinging is the seventies. Keys know. in the bowl. You know, but I think they still do. <laughs> still do all that stuff. You just, you've got a, a more, a more professional sounding name. Lifestyle. In the yeah. lifestyle. Um, but we've done a little bit of that. We've dabbled in this or that. We've had, threesomes and we've had you know whatever he is he'll talk to people online he i'll talk to people but i neither one of us actually acts on very much uh, but it's for us it's more about okay okay so you know when you are like you pick your life partner you get married and you know it's like i married my best friend everybody says that right yes. i married my best friend but it's very uncommon for that person to actually remain your I mean they're your best friend in terms of the fact that you run your lives together and they know a lot you know a lot about each other because you're just around each other but how many people in their committed relationship truly feel like they can actually tell their partner their full thoughts yes right so you're like and I think that um, more than anything like if you said if he said to me I don't want to be non I want to be non I'm sorry I want to be monogamous he said I don't want to have any other sexual or emotional encounters with anybody else ever again I would be fine I would be fine with that I don't think it would be hard for me to live that way at all but it would be ex imperative that we be able to talk about <laughs> other people I know that sounds strange maybe but talk about people we find attractive talk mm. about what turns us on talk about a fantasy talk about a dream the communication for me the openness to really speak about your thoughts and your desires and your fantasies even if they're about other people is more important than the sex act itself but can, but can we just establish that for most people mm -hmm. this sense of not being monogamous is a deal breaker Absolutely. For most people, the monogamy is is the the essence of a loving relationship. Well, because a lot of people, it's, you know, there's a lot of uh, ownership, love and ownership. You know, it's funny. I was like... There was a great quote, actually, that I deliberately took a oh. screenshot of, which it has relevance to what we're talking about now, because I'm reading this Esther Perel book. You what know? we do with But the chapter three just has a quote from Johann, uh, Johann Wolfgang von. Oh, okay. Uh, Love is an ideal thing. Marriage is a real thing. A confusion of the real with the ideal never goes unpunished. Mm. Well, we do have ideals when it comes to to our marriages. And we have these ideas of... Well, here We also have this idea that there's this one person that's supposed to fulfill absolutely everything yes. in our... I, I liken it to this. Like, let's say um, we, we get married and I'm like... Um, and you're like, I'm going to go out to this great new restaurant. I'm like, no. No, 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 no. You must only derive your satisfaction in eating from what I give you. Yeah. It's my food. Yeah, but I really love the chef. Mm -mm. 
it's me. You married me. It's my food. If I don't provide that satisfaction for you, you don't get it anywhere else, right? We would never say that. You're allowed to go get massages. But people don't have the, the same emotional connection with mac- macaroni and cheese <laughs> as they do with the sexual commitment. But my point is we, we treat sex as something very, very different than any other pleasure in life. Yeah, well, isn't that partially because we've been sort of educated that it's a sacred thing? Yes, we have. And my argument is that sex sex can be sacred. And if you have strong religious beliefs or if you you can choose. My argument is that sex does not have to be sacred. That's a belief system only. Yes. Sex isn't inherently sacred. Because all sorts of animals do it all the time, and they're not, there's, mm. they're not breaking or a sacrament. <laughs> they're yes. not getting married. They're not not getting married. Yeah. Right. The sex has been around for long before Jesus was around. Sex was around. Mm. Right. So there, sex is not inherently um, sacred, but we have chosen to give it importance and mm. to make it sacred. And my argument is that it doesn't have to be sacred. And so, especially since we've discovered how to have it without the negative repercussions of. Babies. Childbirth. <laughs> Babies. Absolutely. You know, we um, figured out how to have recreational sex. We did. We did. And you can, you know, you can enjoy like a woman, you know, you can enjoy and you can masturbate and you can do all of these wonderful things. So we have this thing about sex that it's so different. Everything else gets to be, you know, you can have all these other pleasures in life, you know, in different places outside of your relationship, except for sex. I think people are mostly scared. They're, I, I, have to, I have to imagine that it's not the sex itself that people oppose, right? It's the fear that sex is going to lead to love, and then they're going to lose the person. Yeah, and, and betrayal. Like, is a lot of it the fact that we consider so much our self-worth, our, our, our sense of who we are, the sense of the relationship working, even just our own like self-esteem to be wrapped up in the sense of he would never do that to me or she would never do that to me. I think I personally, I think it's more that people have their self-worth in. It's very much I think relationships tend to be very much tied up in your self-worth being tied up in. Are you like if your partner, if you were to start talking to your partner and they were going to tell you that they were attracted to somebody else, that that lowers your worth to them, yes. right? Like that everything, that love and sex is a pie. And if I take a slice out, there's less pie. Mm-hmm. But, but the problem is if you don't take a slice, you never eat it. <laughs> yeah, <but laughs> I, let's keep going with the pie analogy. <laughs> Um, I mean, it looks like a good pie, but eventually it's going to go stale. You got to fucking eat it. You do have to eat it. You do have to eat it. Um, Yeah. What a sad life if you just let the pie go bad, right? No, but I I think that, you know, so most of it is just fear-based, fear of the new and fear of you. Like also if, you know, like the, like a love of a child, right? We can have multiple children and we can love more than one child. And if you have another child, you're not like, well, I've got less child, less love left. Yes. Right. Um, and then you have a third child. You're like, sorry, kid. Right. Almost all my love is good. It's, it's a pie that re- regenerates. It's a magic yes. pie. Right. And so, but we're talking about two different things because there is a difference between sex and love. Some people say, I don't want to have sex unless I have love and that's fine, but that's a yeah. choice. Yes. There's a difference between sex and love. And, um, and that comes down to that thing of how can you, how can you say you love me if you did that? Of course, but that's if you tie sex to love Mm. only. And like lots of other things in life, I mean, sex 
can be um, separate. Sexual pleasure, sexual gratification can come in many forms, right? We can accept that whether you want to play that way or not. And so you could, there's many versions of non-monogamy and there are some that I think are great and healthy and some that are terrible and unhealthy, just like monogamy, <laughs> right? Right. And so there are, you know, like there are certain people that like swingers, let's say there's certain couples that love, it's not just a lot of people think about people who are in the lifestyle as it's all about like getting sex with other people. But I would say predominantly the feeling tends to be more about um, compersion. Compersion? And, yes. And that I is don't know this word. deriving deep satisfaction from the pleasure of somebody you care about. Okay. So a lot of, I would say that is the overriding, overwhelming feeling in the lifestyle is people that enjoy their partner's pleasure and providing it, watching it, being a part of it, being with them. That's a big deal, right? And it's actually a much more giving thing than it is a taking thing. So I think that's one thing that people get a little bit wrong when from the outside, when they think of swinging, they just think of, well, is my boyfriend going to have sex with other people? And then do I get to have sex with other people? And it's just this weird outside focused thing. Mm -hmm. Whereas it tends to be more for the couple, right? Uh, we go in it together. We're nervous. We talk about it beforehand. We pick out our clothes. He's like, no, wear these panties. They're, oh, I love when you wear these. People are going to think you're really hot in these. And you have this fun time and you're nervous and you go together. And then you're chatting with people and you're like, you know, this girl's chatting to him and your husband's nervous and you're helping him say the right thing and he's helping you and then you're right. And there's this, this togetherness. It's like riding a roller coaster, a big, scary, fun roller coaster mm -hmm. together. So it's a very much a thing that tends to make people feel closer at its best. Right now in terms of, you don't have to speak personally for you, but mm -hmm. just in terms of swinging, like, is it more about, uh, your partner than taking this woman or man off to, a another room and doing their own thing or is it more of a together thing? I would thing, say or? most people are, are always together. Most people have like a same room rule, same bed rule and sometimes, and it really depends, sometimes people are like, you know, it's just a swap, right? You'd be in the same room but you've swapped partners but sometimes it's a eight hand cuddle puddle, right? Everybody's right. in there together and it's more of an orgy situation. Right, with two, I gotta, with four I gotta imagine the term orgy seems a bit 70s too, right? It does. There's, I don't know what, what else to say. The, what's uh, the cuddle puddle? <laughs> <laughs> it's a cuddle puddle. Right. Yeah. So, um, you know, there's, but it's funny because in the world of like regular dating, because like if you're in the lifestyle, you date, you like online date, you have a profile. I mean, you don't have to, but most people do. You have a profile and you talk all about yourselves and as a couple and what your boundaries are and what your interests are. And then you go to dinner and stuff and drinks with other people and, and then you decide if you, and sometimes you'll go on multiple dates before you ever do anything. That's common, right? Yes. So, you, so it's not just like we go to these parties and everybody gets naked with strangers. A lot of times you're like becoming friends, like you have to really like these people and it is a slow process. So that's one thing people kind of misunderstand a lot, that they're building a friendship quite a lot mm -hmm. with people. And... Unlike this like monogamous standard dating world, like the swinging dating world is way more respectful. It's crazy. It's so different. It's like, you know, everybody's very like consent is a big deal. People ask consent 
at every step. Mm-hmm. Do you like this? Hey, and they'll say things ahead of time. Like, okay, my, you know, we re- we really think you guys are amazing and just so attractive. We've loved spending time with you. Would you guys like to play? And, and then if they ask you this before you're in any kind of, they don't just pull you in a room and start, you know, there's always a discussion first. Mm-hmm. And then the discussion will be like, yeah, well, you know, we really like you guys, but we're kind of new. We'd like to just do soft swap or which is like, where you're not going to have sex, but you kind of mess around mm. and do other stuff. Uh, or, you know what? My wife really just only, she likes to, you know, receive oral or give oral. And that's what we, and then I like to watch. Are you guys okay with that scenario? Yeah. Okay. Well, we talked about it and we decided that that's okay with us. And then you go do that thing. So there's like a huge amount of boundaries. People are definitely doing a lot of fantasy fulfillment. Yes. And then sometimes you're like, you know, that doesn't really, I, and everybody's very polite. That doesn't really work for us, but it's been wonderful and I hope we still get to have more conversation with you guys, see you at an, an event or whatever. Everybody's very polite. Do you like the talking or do you sometimes wish it was a bit more natural? I I am, <laughs> I Not that it's lay unnatural. a lot of it on my partner <laughs> because I'm terrible with personal conflict and this isn't conflict, I realize this, but to me, <laughs> to me it's sort of, like it's something I'm getting better at, but the idea of like letting someone down to their face or saying you know even though everybody's super polite i am very uncomfortable with that so luckily uh he is comfortable and he's very polite but he's comfortable taking that role on because i would like to just slip slowly into the crack of the floor and disappear by the way i i am assuming speaking about consent that he's very comfortable that you guys are openly talk about this right yeah yeah, yeah. Because he's, he's been on the podcast before yeah, yeah, also. Yeah. So <laughs> we're talking about a about a known individual. Yeah, so yeah, I just was just double. He's more probably open, chatty than I am about stuff about like that. About all that, yeah. right. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, no, so I, I um, put it on him <laughs> to do all of the all the deal making because I'm not super comfortable with that. But I like the idea because one of the worst things in the world is pressure. Like feeling like you're letting someone down or feeling like they're expecting something and you don't want to, whatever. All of those yeah, and feelings. I definitely so, a lot of women can identify with that feeling from the early days of their sexual it's experiences. It's your whole life. It's your whole sexual experience. Yeah, is a, a lot of pressure. Yeah, is pressure and then trying to please, doing things you didn't really want to do because yeah. you didn't want to let them down in some way or be disappointing. That's a huge part of women's sexual history every woman's sexual history so um he is very comfortable and i think a lot of the men in the lifestyle do take on that role more than the women they do a lot of the negotiating and the email handling and the thanks but no thanksing right the men do (laughs) yeah and and is there a is there a sense that it's also because it, it suits them like they're more into it or actually you find that everybody gets as much out of it. I think in fact, most of it is, I think most of the women are getting, I would say men, the men in the lifestyle tend to be very into their partner's pleasure. And it tends to be, I mean, women always have it easier. Women always have more choice than men. Mm. Right. So it's always, sometimes men get in the situations where they're just watching their wife have sex that happens a lot too where they're not even necessarily invited in but they have come to the point where they're like no but i really enjoy i still enjoy that or whatever or their wife only is with them and this other 
couple, but they only interact with their wife. Right. Okay. That happens too. There's also a lot of like bisexual play for women is a big thing. So there's a lot of people where the woman isn't interested in any swapping with another man, but is interested in um, female yes. play. Yeah, I so, mean, I have a friend that goes to like sex parties, mm-hmm. less less this sort of yeah. straight up swinger vibe. But mm-hmm. like so there are some swingers there, but there's also like a lot of other random yeah. shit going on. Yeah. But she encountered a lot of people, a lot of female partners that just wanted to like make out with women yeah i would say i mean people think of men as driving all of the lifestyle and non-monogamy but i would say i would argue that i think the women probably get more actually out of it right in terms of um the experiences than the men now in terms of i mean this is very much a specific thing right there's a swinging or you know the lifestyle as you call it which I, I almost feel like on some level, despite, I guess, a lot of people being uncomfortable or thinking it's a bit mad, they could almost understand it because it's a it's a decision that you guys make. And it's, it's almost t- like yeah. a fun thing. It's a you, togetherness thing. It's yeah. like, let's go do this crazy thing, babe. Yeah, almost like right? a kink in a way. It's, yeah, you know, or like, just you're doing it together. And that's the thing is it's very much a together thing. It's just that you're saying we're going to have sex together. It's like having a threesome, mm. right, or something, right? You're having sex together with other people, but it's together yeah so you're just doing something kind of wild but non-monogamy in terms of dating is a whole other level for most people right and And understandably have you been there or do you have an opinion on that you know i mean i don't when i say i have an opinion it's not like because there's nothing that's just right for everyone of course so you know do i think it's an acceptable thing for people that want to do it and can it be healthy yeah absolutely is it great for everybody no Mm. you know i mean but I've dabbled in it a little bit. Um, he has gone on a couple of dates with a girl and it, it didn't end up going anywhere very far, but they kind of did a little bit. And But it was very much, I mean, they had been talking for a long time. Not a long time, but several months before meeting. Right. So there was an emotional component. It wasn't like a physical first, like, hey, I just go out on, on Tinder and I swipe and I meet people and I go have sex with people and we're calling that consensual non-monogamy it's not that so it was a more of an emotional component and I remember thinking at the time like I was fine with it during all the conversations and we were very open I would help him flirt right and come up with things to say and that brought us together I really enjoyed that but I still had that part of me that was like I wonder how I'll feel when he's actually spending time and I'm not there Mm. and he asked me like a thousand times if I was okay with it at every pass right until the point where I'm like go. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Yes. Do it, please. Right. And he was pretty scared of it. He wasn't like, you know, I mean, he was really like, you'd think every guy would be like, yes. And he's like, you know, pretty scared of it and pretty scared of risking. The the other person knew Mm -hmm. 100% the scenario. Oh yeah. And Mm. she, she texted me. I texted her and all of that. Hey, you know, have fun. I gave her some tips (laughs) about him (laughs) and, uh, And it was all fine. And then I was like, but I'll hold out, I guess. And what I said to him was basically, I am okay with it. I'm not going to punish you. I might, when you, after you go on a date, I might come back and say, I I didn't like that. Right? Right. But I'm not going to punish you for it. Right? You might say, okay, then I won't do it anymore, which he would do. We talked about that a lot. You know, if at any point I was going to veto that's the agreement, right? Yeah. But I said, I'm not going to punish you. I'm not going to hold it over you because I'm telling you at every step that it's okay. I'm just saying I can't guarantee that I'm not going to have a change of feeling when it's real. 
right? That's right. fair. Because you don't know how you're going to feel. No. So I'm not going to. And that's and we went into it like that. And he had a date. And I actually met them for breakfast together. <laughs> and then, you know, and then he spent some time and they spent an afternoon together, whatever. And, you know, I like I was 100% fine with it. In fact, I was kind of excited about it. Yeah. Like it was almost like sending your kid off to the first day of school. <laughs> like I couldn't wait to hear how, how was your day, honey? Tell me everything. I was very excited. And there were times where I would send a text message kind of encouraging it a little bit like, oh, you know, he likes this. I don't even, it wasn't even about sex. It was like just flirting things or jokey things or whatever. Mm. And, um, so I actually derived a lot of pleasure from it. I found it very exciting to talk about it. It turned me on physically. Like I wanted to know about how it felt and did he feel excited or vulnerable or nervous? What was it like to flirt with someone being new? You yes. know, all of that stuff. Which and is fun to get, right? You don't get that from the, 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 the lifestyle in the sense of, a date is a very different thing. It is. It? And it's something, there was something really interesting to me, something really cool to me about, like it made him in a way like instantly more exciting and attractive to me in the moment. Not, I don't mean in general. I just mean like it gave me this jolt of like a mixture of pride and a mixture of like, you know, you see this man that you love as not just in relation to you, but a man that exists out in the world and that other women can be attracted to mm. and can flirt. Like it made him um, seem, you know, it like just boosted him in, in my mind. Like I was like, oh, I want to have sex with him <laughs> right now. But, but, but what about the long term implication of, you know, you're flirting with somebody, you're, date, you're, you're having a few dates with somebody, mm -hmm. you know. What if the emotional connection grows to the point where now there's some sort of conflict? Well, I think that I would never say you can only go out and date and have sex as long as there's no feelings involved. Like, what would be the point of that? Yeah. You can only have meaningless sex, right? Because well, that comes up a lot about like uh, <laughs> emotionally cheating is, is, is worse yeah. than but having I, sex with somebody. Of course, right? It's just, but I would never want, why would I want to send him out in the world to have emotionless relationships and sex, yeah. right? Might as well not do it at all. So I, not only did I, I mean, I, I also, we have a relationship where I really know who he is and he knows who I am. And we're committed for the long haul. We've, uh, you know, a mixed family. We've got kids. We've got everything. Not mm. kids together, but we yeah. each have children and we have a very intertwined lives. So uh, we're fully committed. But I am, you know, I, if he, if he had, if he met somebody and, and every step along the way, we were in agreement, and I liked this person and I felt like it added to his life and added to his happiness and didn't take away and this person was a good respectful person whatever everything was positive and he said I had feelings for her I'm not bothered by that in fact I think I mean that's sort of the idea isn't it at that point so well, yeah, I, I mean I guess it's an idea <laughs> but I got to imagine it like starts that's okay to get complicated well as long as it would only get complicated if he was like I'm gonna burn down my life mm. and but is there room for another person that he loves in his life and to make some room for that person. Sure. We would have to have boundaries about what that means, but I, or, but I, I don't it have a problem It also requires another person that's in on the game. Cause it, mm -hmm. you know, obviously it can be tough if you find somebody that then starts to get possessive or wants their piece of the patch. Yeah, that of course you have to be, but I, there are a lot of warning signs along the way about that. 
By the way, you haven't encountered this, right? This is that he's had some dates, but you haven't encountered the. We've encountered people that you know. Uh, we've encountered people that are the right kind of person, and whether it's one thing or another, little things have meant it just hasn't continued forward. Right. But, okay. But we have met some really amazing people, um, and. I never thought of myself as a poly person. I still don't think of myself as a poly person, but You're I guess denial. I guess I'm in denial. <laughs> You're in serious denial. There's a I lot know. of poly going on. Totally. I just don't have a lot of jealousy. I don't know what it is. I just don't. I'm yet to feel jealous or even threatened. And I don't know. I feel like I'm I don't know if I'm just missing a link. <laughs> Or what? But I just don't. I feel like, of course, you know, there's a life is a strange winding, twisting thing. Right. And you meet all kinds of people in your lives. We have friendships that are quite deep and take up time and emotional energy from us in a, in a good way and sometimes in a tough way. And that's OK. Right. So the idea that there's like it's the same level of emotional involvement. And you just add some sex. Yeah. And that's OK with me. And I also think there's a lot of like I, I, I have a lot of sort of, I guess, compulsive feeling, <laughs> you know, like I just, I, I enjoy watching someone find new levels within themselves. And I like watching my partner grow and, you know, and we talk, we talk about all that stuff and I'm just okay with it. Do you ever ask yourself the question of like, why did sex become so important in my life that it's essentially like one of our main hobbies? It's like important and not important yeah. at the same time. It's a weird sort of duality because I'm basically saying I talk about sex all the time. It's my job. I talk about help other people with their sex lives. And and yet I'm also arguing don't make such a big deal about sex. <laughs> you know, so I it's there's there's two sides to that coin. But yeah, I never thought I mean, you know, 10 years ago, I certainly didn't think that I was going to be this involved with sex. Sure. I mean, th do you think the fact that both of you are divorced and have children, do you think there's a freedom that comes from that? Which is, yeah, we, we understand the, the, the quote unquote ideal and how it didn't work out for us. So there's a liberation in thinking, well, now we can do whatever the fuck we want because actually <laughs> a lot of the things that come from the quote unquote ideal we have, children yeah. and... Well, I also think that, you know, divorce is something that can teach you a lot, just like failure teaches you almost more mm. than success is in anything in life. So, you know, if you go out and you do a show and it's a great smooth show, you don't learn nearly as much as you do as when you bomb. That's when you can really, because like it did well, but why did it do yeah, well? Yeah, the right? audience was great. They're great. They're in a Ran great mood. Energy. You're not challenged. I was on after two acts that didn't really kill it. Yeah, yeah. there's loads of factors. And, yeah. and you weren't challenged and you just had a success and it was easy. It's mm. when it's not easy that you really do the work, right? Mm. So same thing, like if you go through a divorce, you actually end up really knowing, hopefully by the end, a lot more about yourself and you just feel a little bit more, you know, you know what you don't want, you know what you want, and also a little bit of that whole, ugh. Who cares now? <laughs> At this point, you know, like you've you've done it. You're a little freed from the uh, the Disney princess path or whatever, yes. or the church path or whatever it is yeah. you thought you had to follow. Um, you know, and I don't I don't know if I would get married again. Maybe I don't know. I feel very content. Mm. So if I got married, it would be I don't know, just an addition. But I, I certainly don't feel any real because what does that mean to me? But it's, so know? it just just. Uh, it would be a betrayal, though, if either of you did something on the down low, right? That would be considered a betrayal? I mean, I guess it sort of, but not really, because there's not a lot that... Like, it would have to be... Like, if I just 
was somewhere, if I was traveling and I spoke at an event and I met somebody and, you know, the heat of the moment, which is, this really isn't my personality. I'm like way too in my head for, it never works this way, but let's just say heat of the moment. And I end up having sex with someone in a hotel room and the first person I'd call would be him. And he'd be like, what? Wow. Tell me about it. That wouldn't be a betrayal. So it's hard for me to come up with what the betrayal would be. Right. Okay. Because you would just tell him straight away. Yeah. It wouldn't be a thing. And he'd be like, what? Sit up in bed and be all excited. And he'd probably get a boner. Wow. (laughs) But I think that it's more like if, I guess if we had some sort of, if there was somebody that he was not comfortable with or I was not comfortable with. But for us, the big thing before you get mad about rules and whatever is asking why. Because the why is ultimately the important thing. You know, we get, you could get huffy about whatever rule you're breaking, but the information that you need to either make a decision to stay or work or not stay comes in the why. You know, why did that person, why did I do that? Did I do that because this, I felt pressured and I fell back into old patterns of doing things I didn't really want to do? Okay, there's some work to be there. Did I get, was I just super horny? And then maybe he likes that. And that's something we explore together, being spontaneous or mm. me getting more out of my head and more straightforward and physical. And, or maybe, uh, he, you, know, you know, so also if, if he said, well, there's this one person I'm not comfortable with because I think he's disrespectful. And then I went and slept with that person. It doesn't mean he's going to automatically, he's not going to blow up and scream and shout, but he's going to want to understand the why. And then we we'll yeah. go from there. Interesting. Yeah, because I guess I'm, yeah, I, I could understand in that hypothetical, his point of view would be like, you can kind of fuck whoever you want. It's just this one guy kind of, I don't want you fucking and you fucked him. This is like annoying, right? right. Then, well, then he would, he would have some questions for yeah, me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There'd be some tough questions. It's not like you can't betray somebody if you're non-monogamous. You can, but we're pretty... No, <laughs> we're pretty open. I have some questions from a listener. Okay, Betsy, she's very, very hey, engaged in this in this subject. And uh, actually, I shouldn't have named her because now I can't give some background. We to can her. we can cut that out. You want to start over? No, no, it's fine. It's fine. <laughs> I'll just I just uh, if freedom and commitment were to coexist, what would that look like for you? Which is essentially what you've yep. just answered. Uh, what are the most common insecurities that arise for you and your partner? How do you communicate about them? Uh, I would say the insecurities are are not really about other people. They're mostly about both of us have insecurities about ourselves, but they're not like, like uh, I still get insecure about, I get insecure about new things. So I have this habit. It's something I've worked on with hypnosis, (laughs) but um, you know, like for me, I have this thing where if something is new, there's other people that feel like excited and nervous and I tend to just feel excited or nervous. So if oh, right. I'm nervous, it's like, a, you know, code red alarm. I just want to get out of the situation. I rarely feel both. So like something like going to a lifestyle party for me is still like, it's hard for me to get past code red because it's like new and scary. And so therefore it's bad, which mm. isn't true, but that's how I feel. And so insecurities are for me are more about putting myself out there right? Being um, sort of confident in a, in a situation like that, feeling sexually more like tapping into being more sexually aggressive, I guess, things like that. And he has, you know, insecurities about performance or insecurities about, you know, it can be a lot of pressure if you've got multiple women and all of a sudden you're supposed to be the guy. 
sure and just get in there and be a hero to everybody in the room yeah. right there's a lot of pressure so it's something we've dealt with a lot so our insecurities are not really about the relationship they're more about um that. Being the best damn person in the <laughs> lifestyle that you can be. Well, you don't want to get in the room and then not be able to like get it up, right? Straight up, if I'm ever going to one of these parties, I'm taking a fucking emergency Viagra well, just in case. I've discovered after really talking to a lot of people that Viagra is a big popular thing in the lifestyle. Listen, I struggle to pee if I think another guy's looking at my dick <laughs> yep. at a urinal, right? Yeah. No, I know that I can pee. Right. But just sometimes I get aware of the people around me and I struggle to pee. Yep. So I got to think, and I've never gone to one of these parties, uh, even though since I moved back to New York, they've come up in conversation a lot more than yeah, they ever had in, in my York. life in Ireland. Yeah. Uh, but And I've thought about, geez, if I ever went to one, I would be fucking really, really nervous. So guaranteed I would be juicing. <laughs> Every guy there, 90% of the guys are juicing. <laughs> they got to be juicing. Yeah, they are. And why wouldn't you? Yeah. Of course, that's the way I give feel yourself about a little. It. <laughs> well, it's a lot of fucking pressure, man. It's a huge amount of pressure. And women, even though we don't want a woman to fake it, a woman could fake it and you don't, you know, there's not like this physical tell. But men, you know, it's out yeah, there. Yeah, that's it. You can't, it's out it, there. <laughs> you, can't, you can't hide it. Yeah. But I got to assume like all these things you get, you get more and more comfortable. Let me ask you her, la her last question. Okay. And then uh, we'll, we'll, we'll wrap up. Uh, is there anything you miss about being in a monogamous relationship? Great questions from Betsy. That's a great question. Is there anything I... <laughs> yeah, it, uh, that's housekeeping. No, uh, I'm okay, thanks. Uh. <laughs> We're having a non-monogamous conversation. <laughs> housekeeping. I, uh, do I miss anything? No, because I don't think that anything is missing. I don't think anything's not there. All the same. I feel just as safe. I feel comfortable. I feel committed. I just feel more open to talk about stuff. Mm. No, I don't. So you don't miss anything? Yeah. No. Mm. No, not at all. Opposite. I mean, it's a decent sell that you, you put down, really. Here's a, my last my last sort of pitch about even if you don't do anything with anybody else as a couple, either together or whatever, even if you never have a threesome and you're just completely monogamous sexually and emotionally, being able to, I actually think that being able to openly talk about not just fantasies and desires, but even people that you find physically attractive or somebody you think is cute at work diffuses issues before they begin. And I might have mentioned this before, but like, you know, let's say you go to the office every day and you work in this office job and then you there's somebody at your office and there's a little bit of a flirtation. Because that happens all the time. Yes. Right? And it doesn't have to mean anything. Because truthfully, this is probably not the person. You don't need to leave your marriage. This isn't the person for you. But it's new. It's exciting. It's a work dynamic that just changes the energy. And it's just exciting. Okay? But if you can go home and talk to your partner, you say, God, there's this person at work. And I, they're kind of attracted. They flirt with me. And it makes, oh, well, why does it make you feel? I don't know. Because it's new. And reminds me that I'm, I've still got it. Whatever. And you start to be able to talk about the why. And not only can it excite you guys, if you can just accept it without being jealous, but it also diffuses it, the importance of that flirtation, right? And it's being used to kind of serve your relationship. And it also reinforces that this person is your best friend that you're mm. talking to and is in it together and accepts that you, that other people find you attractive and that you can find them attractive and that's okay. And all of that happens. But if you can't talk to your partner and it becomes a secret, now you've got this little kernel of a secret. Right. Well, secrets have a lot of power. So now you go to work and, the, and you continue to flirt and continue. Flirt. Now you feel like you have a dirty little secret. Now you have something you're not telling your partner. Right. And now it grows in importance. 
because you can't share it. And so now when you go to work and then he sends you an email and he sends you a text message, right? Now you're talking. And this thing, and now before you know it, you've done something you didn't want to, you didn't, you didn't really need to do. You didn't even really want to do. Maybe you did physically or just because it was exciting. But you didn't, you didn't really want to risk your relationship and your whole family life or whatever for this thing. But because you weren't able to really talk about it, it grew in size, that little kernel, right? And I, and I, so I think that being able to communicate to your partner, because realistically, we all have eyeballs and body parts. You're going to find people attractive, but that doesn't have to take away from your relationship. It can actually add to it. It, you know, it can be exciting. It can be nice to get to know the person. It can be like, oh, do you flirt with Steve today? Right? Oh, what panties did you wear for Steve? And then it becomes a thing. You're telling your partner everything, right? And your partner knows everything. Your partner is now really connected to you and builds trust, builds connection. And it really feels like you're really seeing that person as a whole person and vice mm. versa. Um, so I the just... the deception is corrosive, right? The deception gets the deception in the way. is corrosive and it makes that flirtation, for example, become, it makes it seem more important over time as the deception grows than it is, right? Mm. And so, you know, I think there's ways to twist this to serve your relationship. And also, you know, life is weird. Life is long and strange and our bodies change and there's something they say that I, I was reading some science about a fixed mindset versus a growth mindset in sex. And they were saying that there's two kinds of thinking and there's the, uh, the there, there's a science um, study. And they were studying the difference between couples that have a growth mindset, which is the belief that your sex life needs nurturing and it will grow and change over time and the way you relate to each other in your relationship. And then there is a uh, sexual destiny point of view, which is one where you believe that the sex is either good or bad, right? And that a lot of times you kind of believe like um, that you're, that sex itself almost exists independently and it's either good sex or bad sex and that it's a barometer of your relationship. And it, it's not the idea that the sexual relationship will grow and change and that it requires lots of nurturing, right? In that way, sex isn't good or bad. If sex is, if you're, if you're disconnected with sex, there's lots of things you can do to nurture and change. And maybe your feelings are morphing. Maybe your sex drive is morphing. Maybe what turns you on is changing. All those things need lots of nurturing over the years. Mm -hmm. Whereas if sex either just exists and I like, you know, you have the, you, it, you deserve it. It belongs to you in the relationship. You either get it, or you don't get it. Um, that fixed mindset you know, sex is owed to you because you're in a relationship. And if you're not having sex, then you're not. Um, it's unsuccessful. It's relationship, unsuccessful right? relationship and all of these things. So the growth mindset over long term, we're much happier couples. And so I think that in general, you know, not thinking of sex as a as what you're destined. You know, you're not. It's not about being not getting sex or not. It's just this idea that sex will change and grow your sexual relationship with a person will. And it doesn't mean that it changes for the worse. It can change for the better. But you need to both sort of I think, you know, you, you are not going to be you're not the same person you were 20 years ago, I'm assuming mm. emotionally. No, right. No, nor am I. And in 20 years, we'll both be different still. In 10 years, we'll be different. In five years, we'll be different. And so all elements of our life need lots of assessment and communication with our partner, including sex, what turns us on, our fantasies. So I just think being as open-minded with your partner as possible will only help you. It doesn't mean you have to be non-monogamous, but I think being open to them and receptive to them as an entire independent human being, independent of you, will serve you. Which is great. And now... 
I mean, I have like a hundred more questions, but I feel like we'll just have to have you on the <laughs> podcast again because, you know, I want to talk about various things. But the last thing I want to ask is because you guys are in a scenario where you both married before and obviously you both, you both have your children. I mean, you're, you're, how old is your daughter? She is seven. Yeah, she's seven. So you're really you're you're very much in the in the heart of the full yeah. <laughs> full commitment to the child phase. You yeah. know, you have they're not older and like looking after themselves, no. right? Mm -mm. Uh, do you think that you would have been able to? I know this is a hypothetical, but had you not got divorced, and I don't even mean for you to think about him specifically, but just like a hypothetical world where you were married, had a child, uh, and tried to achieve what you're what you're doing now. Oh, could my relationship have changed? into this yeah well yeah like don't, don't do you do you think in a way it, it it's kind of uh i'm just trying to think of somebody li that's listening to this who has two young kids mm -hmm. and they're with their husband and like of course this thought never entered their mind uh or possibly never entered their mind like do you think that this would have happened if you hadn't had a divorce and your mind opened up i think that that was a huge catalyst but i think that you can add in elements of because no matter what even if we're not talking about non-monogamy, it's a challenge to say to stay sexually exciting with your partner over the years, mm. especially with kids and everything, yes. no matter what. So ways you can add in a little excitement that kind of is like porn, for example. You could watch porn together. Mm. And there's not just the watching of the porn together, but I always I like to talk to people about ways they can incorporate um questions and curiosity into their relationship as well as like something like porn you can watch and let your partner pick a video right and then and another you learn time, something and from you them. learn something from them and you pick a video the rule for that though is the never yuck anybody's yum yes that's the number one rule because if you want acceptance you have to offer acceptance so uh but i think that watching porn also like um and that feels non-monogamous but it's not Right, you're involving watching other people have sex. You're starting to learn, ask questions, right? Why does that turn you on? And then also things like mutual masturbation, watching your partner masturbate, and you them watching you masturbate is exciting and different, and you can put some porn on if you want. Not only do you get to learn more about your own body, especially as a woman, they get to watch you and they get to learn, right? And vice versa, you get to learn from them. And uh, so I think there's lots of little things you can do that can spice things up. Things like porn can add in an element of non-monogamy without actually being threatening. Mm. Um, also like sexting and a little phone sex, all of that stuff adds in some of those new spicy elements without actually involving another person. Some people also just get comfortable trying a threesome. Yes. Threesomes add a lot to a lot of people's lives and it feels relatively safe. Right. Yeah. As a couple. Yeah. As a couple. Yeah. I mean, I, I'm a, I'm a, I'm a fan. <laughs> right. <laughs> I think, I think they add a lot to people's lives. They're great. So, you know, that, that's, and really with Tindle, Tinder and Bumble and everything else, I feel like every third person is looking for a third out there. Everybody's trying to have threesomes. So you're not alone and nobody's going to think you're weird. And not that, you know, I mean, Esther Perel has become such a guiding force for our, our <laughs> podcast lately, but she does make the very interesting point, you know, in terms of monogamy, uh, she, you know, she says like, you say to somebody like, do you believe monogamy? And, and they say, yeah, I've been monogamous in all my relationships. <laughs> and what they don't realize is the definition of monogamy has changed because it used to be that you had one partner for life and now it's you, serial you don't monogamy. Have, yeah. You don't have other partners when you're with uh, a one partner. partner. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So, so 
we shouldn't get too hung up on it. I, you know, I, I, I'm sure that as people listen, they'll have loads of things and they'll, they'll probably say, uh, you know, oh, that's bullshit or she yeah, could really not be jealous, but you know, it hasn't happened yet. It's not, and I'm capable of jealousy. The other thing I just want to say about jealousy is jealousy is not a bad word. It's okay to be jealous. Yeah. You can survive jealousy and jealousy itself, it's just like for me, when I feel nervous, I don't feel excited, right? But just because I feel nervous doesn't mean I, it's a bad, it doesn't mean it's bad. All the alarm bells go, go off because something's new for me, but I've had to learn to stick it out and do it anyway, because just because something, like I'll, it's like taking a roller coaster. I'm like, I don't feel excited for this roller coaster. I just feel nervous. So then I don't go on the roller coaster. If I'd gone on the roller coaster, I would have realized that it was really fun. I would have lived through it and I would have gotten a little more confident and I would have realized those nerves don't mean the thing is bad. Yeah. Right. Same thing with jealousy. Jealousy isn't inherently bad. Sometimes and you just have to, if you allow yourself some space to feel jealous, take some breaths, take a day or two and reassess, you realize that jealousy can really tell you a little bit about yourself, can tell you about your own insecurities. It can be a pointer, but it doesn't mean the thing that happened was a bad thing. Mm. So that's another thing is a lot of people think anything that makes you jealous is bad. Right. And I challenge that. Oh, that's a good one to leave on. Mm-hmm. Anything that makes you jealous is bad. And you challenge that. I challenge that idea. Yes, because that comes up a lot in relationships. Mm-hmm. You've made me feel jealous, so therefore you must have done something wrong. Yep. And jealousy is often actually an, is based off of you and not based off of the behavior that happened, the thing that happened. Right. Now, it can be. Sometimes somebody does something really bad. Yes. Right. That broke the rules and they know, well, they know they broke the rules and it was a bad thing or whatever. But a lot of times the jealousy is more of a reflection of somebody's own insecurities. And that needs to be questioned. You need to because you need to grow and change and grow out of those insecurities to be a better person. And it can be tough to be. And sometimes jealousy can tell you when you need to grow. All right, leave it, leave it there because we, <laughs> we talk for hours. Okay. We got to go. Okay. Well, thank you so much. Oh, yeah. Yeah, remind our listeners of your Instagram and everything. Oh, uh, at Kate Sheeler, K-A-T-E-S-H-E-L-O-R is my Instagram. That's where I do most of my stuff and you can find all my links for my work and speaking and coaching. And, uh, how, how do they do the online coaching? It's all in there in my, in my bio. There will be a link there, but you can also go to my website. Is it expensive? Uh, it, it depends on what you choose. I mean, if you were to, to go for months of online coaching, um, but it depends. I mean, it's it's sort of like, uh, it depends on the more coaching you do, but it's like $100 for a session or whatever, an hour, and then I'm going to give you homework and check in with you. I'm also open to, you know, I can create custom packages for people. Sure. I like to help people. So if somebody, you know, if that's not in their budget, we could talk about something that would be appropriate, that would be fair to everybody. Yeah. I do that too. Well, that's great. Yeah. Well, make sure to check that out, everybody. I kind of forgot that we were filming, actually. <laughs> um, I've had my head turned the whole time. So well, yeah, that, that, that's my always hair. the way. You, need two, you really need two cameras <laughs> yeah. to do the head on. Yeah. Okay, well, thank you so much. Oh, you're welcome. Thank you. So, thanks, everyone. Thank you, Kate. Um, well, I, I mean, I find that stuff really fascinating. Um. And I'd love some feedback on it, guys. I'd love to hear your thoughts on Instagram. Send Kate, KT. Send Kate your show, your thoughts, of course, but also send KT uh, your thoughts. Keep her entertained in the Camino. Although, to be honest, oh yeah, no, she'll, yeah, she'll, she's heading off on a few different bits of holiday 
So plenty of time while she's away to uh, to engage in this ep. Um, and nothing else to report really other than myself and Katie are doing shows in Cork Tuesday, Wednesday. Katie is not with me at my Ballymaloo show on the Thursday. Uh, so, um, but she will be back with me in Vicker Street and Thurless and some other spots. If you happen to be, uh, I have uh, other shows around. I've shown Cookstown County Tyrone, which I've kind of been forgetting to mention, which is pretty important. Cookstown County Tyrone uh, in October also. And I'm in Nuri uh, um, the Friday, uh, the Saturday after. So so uh, Tuesday, Wednesday, Cork. Thursday, Ballymaloo, East Cork. Friday night, I'm doing the Two Johnnies podcast in Belfast. And then Saturday night, I'm in Nuri. So busy, busy, busy when I get back. And um, the following week is uh, whatever it is. Check out desbishop.net forward slash tour dates. Um, myself and Katie aren't doing any live podcasts, but we'll be happy uh, for you guys to uh, to say hello if you see us uh, at any of the shows around Ireland. Um, no other news other than... That's it. I hope you enjoyed the app. I'm absolutely famished, by the way. Uh, I thought I would chat to you guys a little more on my own, but I'm famished. I, I The great thing about having the Peloton which might mean nothing to you guys, but the great thing about having the Peloton in the house is when I got home today, you know, because I actually, I actually had a grade one tear in my quadricep, which happened when I was in Vegas. Uh, and I didn't want to bore you guys, but I got a grade one tear in my quad and I've been rehabbing it and resting it. And yesterday I did a little exercise and it felt okay today. And then I thought, oh, I'll do a Peloton. But then I got back and I was tired and I was a little hungry already. And... I thought maybe it's better to rest it. But then I also thought, oh, but you know, once you get on it, you'll be fine. And the great thing is that had it been a jog that I was going to do, I probably wouldn't have done it because I would have thought, ah, I better rest that calf. But the thing is that the Peloton's just in the house and you just have to put on those cycling shoes. You're on it. And the music starts playing in your ears. And next thing you know, you're dancing. You're not even exercising. You're like just dancing. And I, I love it. Like, I really love it. Like, I... I I honestly, I, I think I was, I think I was meant to be a spinning instructor. You know, I think I'm going to do, honestly, I'm not going to lie. I think I'm going to do, like, I'm going to get three, I'm going to get four exercise bikes from my house, like spinning bikes, proper ones, from my house in Dublin. Because I, I have an extra, like I have a, you know, I have like a, you know, like an old school, like 1908 house you know, from the turn of the century. And there's two sitting rooms, one of which I never use. It's literally like a closet. I think I'm going to put four spinning bikes in there, three, and then one facing the other way. And I'm going to do like fun spinning classes in my house and film them because I fucking love spinning, man. And it might not be your thing, but I fucking love it. And honestly, it's gotten me through like dealing with the loss of my mother. And I mean, I'm, you know, I'm writing a show about my mom and there is, there is definitely going to be like a spinning section in the show, but that's like com for comedy and theatrical purposes. Um, but I don't know, man, I, I think I'm going to fucking, I, I think I'm going to have like a private little spinning thing going on in my house, but I might film them, put them up on YouTube. Cause I just love spinning, man. I just get in the groove with these Peloton instructors and I just get lost in it. It's it's awesome. 
Now, it might not be for you, but it's certainly for me. Anyway, I got on it, and then I still haven't eaten, and I have some Chinese food. And I know you think that's like a contradiction. I'm being all healthy, and then I'm going to eat Chinese food, but I like a pig out after a good workout, and I got some Kung Pao chicken, some Kung Pao Ji Ding. So I'm going to talk into that right now. And then I'm going to watch Escape at Danamora, which I'm on like episode five of. A great series about that prison break in New York. Um, also, just a plug, if you're on Netflix, Nikki Glaser has a new special out. And I think you should watch it. And I also think that you should all, all shift listeners should tell, should message Nikki Glaser on Instagram and say, Des told us to watch your special and we think that you should be a guest on the shift. So bombard Nikki Glaser with praise about her special and then tell her that she should be a guest on the shift. She'll, I think she'll appreciate that. Um, we're going to have some great episodes in Ireland. I was thinking... Because Katie's in Cork on Tuesday, right? Cypress Avenue. Um, I want to do an episode about just like, straight up just like Irish sex app. Just like what, just like funny, distinctly Irish sexual moments. And I'll get a guest in Cork. Um, you know, like a Cork guest. And uh, we we still have a great episode coming up about uh, being cheated on, which is kind of a nice sort of, you know, it's it, it's it, it's a nice compliment to the episode we just had. And, um, yeah, then we're just going to, like, just do so many apps in Ireland. There's just something about being in Ireland that makes it easier to do. Um, and, uh, okay, guys. You're so, you're so hard to leave, shift listeners. Because I love you so much. What would I do without being able to shift you? Every Wednesday. Every hump day. Oh, actually, I have a question. Listener. Listeners. Uh, have we not been dirty enough lately? I was thinking about that. You know, early on, we were talking like a lot of just like direct sexual stuff. Then we had a little sort of like a, a shift towards mental health, which was which was good. And... You know, we've had a few like, you know, more 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 serious episodes. Do, do you want just like a straight? Oh yeah, we did have the porn app, so I don't know what I'm talking about actually. I think our, the porn app was our most popular app. The the two, it seems that the like the two most listened to apps are the the Katie watching porn and also our app about period sex, which is surprising me. You know. And while we're on the subject of period sex, my period sex routine is up on YouTube and it just does not do big numbers. And I, I you know, it, listen, I, I don't mean it in an egotistical way, but I know that that's a good routine and I know that women appreciate it when they hear it. I just don't know why that is not doing more numbers. Can people please just like share the fucking period sex routine on, on YouTube? I, I, I need some feminists to see this, you know? I get, I get, I get no love from the feminist man, which is fine. I guess, I guess, I, I guess on paper I, I appear like I'm the enemy, but you know, really I'm not. 
I mean, I, I, you know, I guess I'm a dirty pig sometimes, but not like in a, not in a non-feminist way, just in a, you know, just in that, like, I'm a single guy at 43 and I just, I haven't settled down, but I, you know, I'm, you know, I care. I really do care, but I can't get the fucking feminist to forward my goddamn period sex routine. Come on. Help me out. Anyway, I'm only fucking dicking around. I'm only joking around, man. I'm only joking around, guys. I mean, this episode has been over for a while, but I just kept talking. And you guys are still here, and that's on you. Because you know you can turn this off whenever you want. I just don't want you to. If you leave me now... You take away the biggest part of me. I don't even know if those are the right lyrics. How embarrassing is that? Bye. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more and is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.